This is in Houston. And tell me about you a little bit. So I am Jolie Ammons. I am a doula in Houston, and um, I've been a doula for about seven years. Um, I co-own. Seven years already. I know. Seven? Isn't that crazy? Wow. Okay. It's almost a decade. Um, so been doing that. Um, I co-own Rebel Birth Education and Resource Haven with uh, one of my partners, Kathleen Wilson. Um, we wrote a childbirth education series, and uh, we wrote it from the perspective of a doula, which is, you know, just like, just like preggers, birth can happen in any way, and we're not here to tell you how to do it. We're here to support you on the journey that you choose and be, um, you know, the expert in the room there. So, um, and Rebel Birth is super, you know, just all about meeting you where you are. So, and uh, I don't know if this is the time to get into the personal life stuff, but I have two kids husbands, two cats, two dogs, you know. All right. And speaking of cats, I have, um, I just got a cat about two weeks ago and she's bananas. Her name is Penny Royal. And so if she starts showing up trying to do stuff, she's still kind of young. So yeah, no, say I, that. I, I fully expect one of the cats to knock over the iPad at some point and for you to see the basket of laundry that it's sitting on top of <laughs> that I've got it propped up on. So yeah. Totally get it. <laughs> and I took a couple of wackadoo pictures of my sister and I starting this up because we had some technical issues. So um, oh, good. those will, I'll put those probably along with this cast too. Okay. okay. So um, so you and Kathleen are in a group called TLC, which I'm in also. So I want to be transparent right. about that. That um, I'm a TLC. Um, I'm in total labor care doula um, group also. I don't doula all that much, although I do have a doula client who's due uh, around Thanksgiving. And, um, which surprised me because I've never been, you know, a lot of people, they're like, I'm a doula. That's like Kathleen, especially will say that I'm a doula. I never want to be a midwife. I am a doula. Mm -hmm. And I was really a midwife pretending to be a doula, you know? And so, oh, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like where, um, I thought like being a doula would like be a good stopping point for me, but I, I've always been a midwife and that's just what's up. And I'm a better midwife because I did doula work for so many years. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely a midwife. And um, maybe I'd like to hear from your perspective, the difference between a midwife and a doula. Maybe we could just talk about that for a hot Yeah, minute. yeah, absolutely. So the biggest difference between a midwife and a doula is obviously like doulas don't make life and death decisions for you. So, you know, when you're, when you're hiring a midwife, you're hiring somebody that you trust to make split second decisions if, if you know, stuff goes down. Um, and um, a doula is there to walk you through your choices and um, give you that educational support to say, okay, what kind of birth do you want? Here are all the things I think might supplement you achieving that. And then, you know, here's some emotional and physical support when the day comes. But it's, you know, it's not my job to tell you what to do. It's my job to support you on the journey, you know, regardless of the choices that you're making. And I think that, um, you know, whenever the thought has crossed my mind, do I want to be a midwife? Um, the, the process that I go through in my head is, you know, do I want to make, um, do I want to be, the person with the responsibility to make choices that affect <laughs> that affect um you know life and death decisions and and you know the kind of the kind of big important stuff there and i i, I want i want to hold your hand through that mm -hmm. um and so i i affirm that yeah i'm, I'm a doula <laughs> <laughs> for me i was um amazed at like the freaking pressure there's so much pressure so much, yeah um on me now as a midwife like even at 12 30 last night somebody's texting me okay so um, I'm having rhythmic cramps. My back is really hurting. I can't do anything to stop it. 
um, a mortgage, she's like 32 weeks, you know, and I was like, okay, like so running through things in the middle of the night, like, okay, what's this, what's this, what's this, what's this, you know, like it just, it never stops. It never stops, yeah. you know, where if you're a doula and you miss a call like that or a question like that, you know, that person's hopefully going to kick up to the a provider, right? You know, because that's kind of a provider question after oh, the yeah. doula kind of helped you with it. Um, and a lot of times a doula, I was like, okay, that's a, that's something I can help with. No, that's a provider question, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the pressure is pretty never ending and becoming a midwife is a pretty grueling process. In fact, I have a series on here on like how to become a midwife because um, I have a series on YouTube about it because it's grueling and it's hard to figure out. And, you know, you got to turn yeah. your dog sideways if it's Wednesday, but it's really Tuesday, but you didn't know the Wednesday rules applied because they didn't last week. You know, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. So anyway, so, but we're both in TLC doula group and I got into TLC doula group because Kathleen Wilson, who's your partner, um, was like making me come to meetings. And I'm like, I'm not even in this group. How can I have to That sounds about right. And then I was like, God. All right. I was like, so finally I'm like, okay, I'm just going to join. And then I was like, can I join? And then one person didn't respond. And then she goes, Oh, I thought you were already in it. I was like, okay, clearly. <laughs> I just was okay to join. But now, now I'm in it. And even though I don't plan on dueling too much, um, I'd still, I'm happy to be in TLC and I'm happy that this is such a great resource and we really cover each other. And like who, like you had a tumble the other day and I was like, do you need me to come oh to my the- gosh. Or do you need me to cover your clients? You know, like, I don't care. What, what are we doing? You know, mm-hmm. you want me to stitch you up? Like, okay. <laughs> that would have been awesome. You probably would have been de- better than the, what the ER docs did. So. <laughs> what, what ended up happening? Uh, ER. Well, I went to the ER, you know, in, in search of a tetanus shot. And, you know, pretty straightforward and pretty, you know, I'm definitely somebody that goes in and advocates for myself because, you know, with my job, I know how to do that. So I, I went in and said, I need a tetanus shot this is what happened. And they wanted to do a bunch of x-rays. And, you know, uh-huh. when you, when you walk in and you're like, I need a tetanus shot and some pain meds, they start looking at you funny. Um, so, you know, uh, it just, they were, they were dismissive and a little suspicious and a little, you know, I don't know. Um, they, they probably had bigger fish to fry than a, than a, than a, than a scrape from a nail. I don't, I don't know. So <laughs> Dude, that wasn't just any scrape. It was kind of scary. Oh, no, it was gnarly. It was gnarly. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So um, tell me where you're located right now. Like exactly where I'm located? Like where's your office? Oh, my office is in Old Town Spring. I'm like, I'm located in my bedroom in the corner <laughs> by the window. Um, but no, my, my office is in Old Town Spring in the, like the north side of Houston. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. And I'm uh, a Midtown girl. I'm uh, well, actually live in the East End, but my office is on the edge of third ward and the museum district. And um, that might be changing a little bit, but right now I'm definitely a South side girl. Okay. Awesome. And Houston is huge. Like you can spend an hour getting across Houston and still be in Houston. So it's huge. And there's like a shit ton of traffic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, when we met, um, you were a hairstylist and Mm -hmm. um, you were having, I know at one time Jolie told me, or um, Kathleen told me that you were preggers and then, she said that you had a miscarriage. So that was the mm-hmm. first that I heard about any of your fertility journey. And it just kind of like, you know, it didn't like, it, you know, I noticed it, but like one in four women have a miscarriage, right? So, mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's one in four pregnancies. That's probably a, a specific differentiation that I should know. But, um, you know, like it, a miscarriage is, okay. So a miscarriage is a common um, experience when like, you know, it's a, a common outcome of a pregnancy. So mm-hmm. for better or worse, like if we just remove the emotion. So that's the first time I kind of knew anything about that. And then um, 
The second time it really came big on my radar is um, one of our mutual patients. Oh, I'm a massage therapist. So one of our mutual patients texted me in the middle of the night and said, Jolie's not responding. Can you come to our birth? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure. But I knew that you were having a transfer the next day, just kind of vaguely. Mm-hmm. And so, and I really didn't know a lot about what that meant at the time. And so I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, I'll come on. And then later at like, you know, in the morning, you were like, oh my God, tell me that you've got this handled. I was like, we got this. Yeah. We're having such a good time. It's good. And that's how we cover each other. So that's the next right. time. But, and the fact that you had um, missed a call started to let me know that this was a really big deal, that the transfer wasn't just like going in and getting a throat culture or whatever. I don't know no. why I thought it was a small deal, but it's totally minimized in our society. So mm-hmm. that's when I got like, oh, this is much more significant than I ever thought. And um, mm-hmm. why don't you take it away from there? Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get right back to it. Getting back to our real talk after birth style. Um, so I don't know how far back do you want me to go in like the history of, of do you want the whole journey or whatever you want to share? Like you can read or digest um, some of it until you got up to IVF or I, I don't care. Whatever okay. you, your story, babe, your story. Okay. So, um, so first of all, I think it's, it's, it's a funny kind of, um, mesh of my career and my personal life because Jimmy and I, my husband and I have always talked about wanting to foster and adopt kids. And we, um, we even like bonded over it in the beginning of our relationship. Part of what we fell in love over was this idea that, you know, we both have had this, uh, dream of being foster parents. Um, for me, the, the furthest back that I can remember is watching angels in the outfield when I was younger and wanting to be that old lady with the white hair and the kids with the bunk, with the bunk beds and, you know, that they run up back and forth from the baseball field and, and she's just this nurturing presence for them. Um, and so we bonded over that. And then fast forward to, you know, we're about to get married. Um, I've been talking to Kathleen about becoming a doula for several years by that point. And for different reasons along the way, we decided it wasn't the right time. And, um, and right before our wedding, we had this idea, we had a conversation where um, we decided that if we are going to be these big foster parents, that we should get a biological child out of the way. And for me, it was like research. <laughs> it was like, I wanted to birth and I wanted to breastfeed because if I was going to be a doula, I needed to experience that. But, and also because, I mean, you've met Jimmy, like I want a, t- a small miniature Jimmy running around the world, you know? Um, but it was, yeah, dude, I want to have Jimmy's baby. He's real cool. He's so cool. He's a great guy. (laughs) He really is. Yeah. And so like it, but it was, it was more, I mean, for me, it was more the idea of, I wanted my body to do those things. I mean, I've had, I've had these puppies since, since, uh, since I was nine years old, you know, and the idea of never using them to feed somebody, like just kind of was like, you know, I got to do that. So we had, um, we, we, we went on this like five year, maybe four year, whatever, uh, you know, kind of sidetrack. Like we, um, tried and tried and tried to get pregnant and we did, uh, five times. Um, and we miscarried early. Um, like, you know, sometimes so early that the only reason I knew I was pregnant was because I took a test when I was a day late. Um, the cats are in the laundry basket already. Um, so, um, And then, so finally, you know, I think one of the big things about our IVF journey to talk about is that we would have never 
even been on the radar to try IVF because we are not people that have money. Um, we are broke as, am I allowed to curse on this? We're broke as shit all the time. Um, you know, we, we live literally paycheck to paycheck because we both do jobs that fulfill our passions and passion projects. You know, there, there are not many people out there in the world that, that are ecstatic every day doing their job and bringing home the bacon. Like it's just not a thing. So, um, Jimmy got a part-time job at Starbucks. Um, he worked there for 20 hours a week and Starbucks is really, really big into providing insurance that provides, um, fertility services. So, um, we were able to do IVF because of that. Um, we did two surgeries, a whole bunch of testing and two rounds of IVF and only paid $7,000 out of our own pockets, which if anybody who's done IVF, like it's, it, that would have gotten you half of the meds needed for one IVF cycle out of pocket, you know? So, um, I forget what the original question was, like, how'd we get to IVF? Okay. So, um, yeah, like we, we kind of started talking about it. We, we actually went to the reproductive endocrinologist to see like our, I think our, our radar was, um, we'll do Clomid or we'll do some testing, maybe see if there's something. Cause we weren't having any trouble getting pregnant. We were having trouble staying pregnant. So it was like, let's go and find out why that is. And I'm telling you like legit, we sat down across the desk from this doctor and she pulled out her paperwork and she looked at our benefits and went, Oh, you've got IVF coverage. So let's just do that. I mean, I don't even think she really, you know, did as much looking into it as you would for somebody that, that doesn't have that kind of coverage because, um, you know, I think they would have tried a lot of, a lot of other less expensive routes before, you know, jumping there. So, you know, and that's a common problem, like with queer couples too, they just roll in and you know, you're having problems getting pregnant. Well, I'm not getting jizz on my cervix, you know, like it's not about for like, um, and maybe I can ask one of our other partners, like interview her at some point about this, who's queer. But um, yeah, that's a common thing, right? They don't really look at your body. They look at um, what your insurance package is. Okay. Mm -hmm. So keep, so keep going. Oh, and in this journey, when you're talking about medication, can you talk about what it did to your body? Oh my God. Oh yeah. Um, so, and, and like just, piggybacking off the queer couples for a minute. And that's, that's one of the bigger reasons why Starbucks does what they do. Like, um, they, they provide that insurance because they want to provide for every type of family. Um, and that, that's the type of people that they want to attract. Um, so this doesn't mean, I don't mean to plug Starbucks, but if you need IVF, go work 20 hours a week at Starbucks. Um, so, um, so the process of IVF is, is, it's crazy. It's, um, so you start by doing a stimulation cycle. Um, they, they first put you on birth control to kind of bring you to a, a, a square one in your numbers. Um, and they give you follicle stimulating hormones. So your ovaries have follicles in them and those follicles are where the eggs are and the follicles grow, um, in during your, um, the first phase of your, like before you ovulate, um, and like my brain's forgetting that is that one's the luteal phase, but, um, that, that first, that first couple weeks of your, of your cycle, um, those follicles form and get bigger. Well, follicular stimulating hormones make more than one follicle stimulate. So it makes, you know, kind of an overproduction of follicles. 
in your ovaries. And so they go in um, every other day, you go in for a transvaginal ultrasound, which is like a giant wand that goes up there and they look, they count your follicles, they tell you um, how, how much they're measure, measuring in like millimeters. Um, and then usually people after about 10 days um, have big enough and plenty enough follicles to go and harvest them. Um, which is called a retrieval. Can I ask a quick question here? Yeah. Um, you know, like I would find that personally very traumatizing to have a wand stuck up my vagina every other yeah. day. And so can, do you have a moment to speak to that or <laughs> do you want to share about that? So yeah, it's awful. Um, it's not, okay. It depends. It depends on who you get because you know, no matter how many times you do the procedure and how much it becomes just kind of a part of your life, it's still very intimate to have somebody put something inside you. It's cold. It's hard. It's long. It's about this big around. Um, and then there was this one nurse that every time I would get her, she would jam it into my clit and not be able to find my vagina and like, because most of the time what they would do is they would start and they would kind of go down and like slide it in. She would just, for some reason, she just wanted to like beat me with it. You know, she was inexperienced. She was pretty new to the practice and young. And I think that I, I don't know. I have, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's hard to find. I don't know what's going on, but she just, she couldn't get it right. And it was painful. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm so sorry. That sounds terrible. Um, okay. One thing, like, because I end up doing a lot of, um, I work at North Houston Birth Center currently, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes I go in, and it's with people I've never even met before, and I'll know that they want a, um, a vaginal exam or a pelvic exam because they're wearing a little paper on their lap, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like I'm just passing out um, you know, exams like candy, but I always say the same thing is that vulvas are like people's faces. Like we all have the same basic things, but they're put together a little different. So mm-hmm. it might take me, uh, you know, a few seconds to kind of navigate their topography, you know, their body, mm-hmm. but I always like say it and I'm really gentle and really cool. And, and I always say, you know, cause I'm a trauma informed, um, pelvic exam person. So mm-hmm. I ask them, um, you know, like you're, it's, this is your body. And if you, you know, aren't feeling comfortable or, you want to change the decision about letting me do this or asking me to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like you're in charge, right? But I'm always very gentle. And sometimes I accidentally jam people right in the clit, same thing. Um, But I'm always like, you know, I have a soft hand. I was talking to a FUA the other day and she goes, she said, she tells patients, she goes, I don't know why she's a great big woman with great big hands, but she's got some soft hands. She's got some really (laughs) gentle hands. I was like, well, I think I know why. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. But I'm always careful when I'm doing that type of work to be really, really kind, you know? So I'm yeah. sorry that that happened to you. And knowing that that, the transvaginal, it's like a penalty dicking almost, you know? It's a, and, it's a penalty dicking. It is. Especially yeah. like, so for me, I found the other day, I don't know if it's still over there. In a minute, I'll see. Um, so for me, um, my cycles were longer. Like, so and this is another place where the money comes in big time because most people after 10 days are ready to retrieve their follicles or retrieve their eggs, um, not their follicles, but their eggs. Um, and 
for me, it would take over 20 days. Like at, at 10 days, my follicles were not big enough. So I was going in every other day for what should have been five-ish transvaginal ultrasounds and turned out being every other day for 22 days um, on the first cycle. And I think, I think I was 22 days on the first cycle and then, and then 19 days the second time we did it. And, uh, you know, every time, like mine, mine would stall out and I was on triple, I think the dose of the, uh, follicular stimulating, uh, drugs, um, which those drugs are no joke. They are, they make you just, they, they made me feel like I was out of control. Like I, I was, I was, I'm just now starting to feel okay. And, and I did this in 2014 and 15, like we're almost five years later. Um, and so like they had to give me, I think it was either triple or quadruple the dose in order to get my follicles to grow. And then when they finally would start to get where they were almost measuring as large as they wanted that, or as long as they wanted them to, they would plateau. And so they would up my dose even more. And so finally, by the time, by the time it got to the last three or four, they were, they would, you know, go in going, this is the one, this is the one, this is going to be the one. And, you know, mind you think about it, I'm rearranging my whole life for this. And so like the client that we shared, um, I should have, I should have had my transfer long before it happened. Um, it, my cycle was just completely not what it was expected to be. And once you are it's been rusty. It's been a couple of years. Okay. So once your follicles are the correct size, um, you go home that night and when they, they tell you an exact time to do your trigger shot and your trigger shot is the shot that makes you ovulate. Um, wait a minute. Is that right? I, I, I actually don't quote me on exactly what the trigger shot does. I'm trying to think of what hormone it is. It either makes you ovulate or it makes them grow a little bit more at the end. I'm, I'm not sure which one now that I'm thinking of it. Doesn't matter. But they do the trigger shot. And then um, exactly 36 hours from the trigger shot, you go in and they retrieve your eggs. So egg retrieval is another, <laughs> you, they put you under, um, they go in with a big, long needle. They go through the wall of your vagina all the way out to your ovary and they suck the eggs into the needle and they say, okay, go home, take this Vicodin or whatever the heck it is, whatever they gave me. And, um, you know, you'll be okay to work by tomorrow. Well, me, I would usually spend about three days with, with horrendous, like deferred gas pain almost. Like it was like, I don't know if you've ever had that where you've got like a really bad, painful gas built up mixed with kind of a periody feeling because, you know, they penetrated the wall of your vagina with, uh, with a needle. Um, can you hear that? I can hear Jimmy's in the room with the babies. Hold on a second. Let me turn the monitor off. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, and so, yeah, so they, they do that, they retrieve the eggs and then they wait, uh, for me, it was five days and you can either do a frozen transfer or a fresh transfer. Um, so they retrieve the eggs, they fertilize the eggs in the lab with, so while you're doing your egg retrieval, he's doing his, you know, donation. And then, um, they 
combine them in a petri dish in the lab and see what happens. Well, for us, the first time I got 17 eggs, which was great. Um, I think all 17 fertilized, but only two made it to five days. So they 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 fertilize them and then you know a lot of them either die or are not good enough quality by the time they get to five days you can choose to do genetic testing but usually that's not covered by insurance that's another added expense um and uh so yeah we 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 transferred those two and the transfer is nice the transfer is a really lovely procedure um you go in you go into an or the same or that you had your retrieval and you get to stay awake and they 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 use ultrasound um so that they can see and they basically put the um the eggs in like a little pipette thingy and shoot them up in there and um you know shoot them up in there in a place they think that they'll thrive and then you wait and see if they stick so i just want to clarify that they shoot them up into your uterus not your cervix yes. not into your vagina but into your no uterus. no into your uterus they shoot them into your uterus yeah so, and then, okay, and so like, like uh, what I was starting to say and, and kind of skipped over was, okay, so whenever my cycle was longer than it was supposed to be, I was in the middle of the cycle and had no choice but to call the pharmacy and order more drugs, okay? So, the first time I ordered the drugs, it cost me $271, and I balked at it when she said the price over the phone, and she said, girl, you just, re you do you realize you just ordered $10,000 worth of drugs? That's 10 days worth of drugs. And then when I had to call an order again, remember my cycle went 22 days. So for somebody paying out of pocket, that would have been another $10,000 that they didn't expect to spend. And then after it went past 20 days, you have to order the whole thing over again. So, you know, like, you got to, it's not, there's not like a, like, oh, this is going to cost 40 grand. It's, you know, this might cost 40 grand, but it might cost 60, you know, kind of thing. So, um, I was really grateful. And then when I called and reordered, of course, I had reached a max. So I think I only paid like another $45 for, for the drugs on the second order. But, but it, it really sunk in home when she said that to me, you know, the benefit of having insurance that will help, you know? so wow okay so um we're at 30 minutes right now so and mm -hmm. i just told you like we wanted to do 30 minutes so um do you have time to keep talking about this or do we need to do a, a different time um i think i could probably talk for a few more minutes um i do i do need to let jimmy get to work at some point but let okay. me i think that you know um like maybe we move on to the part of how we got to adoption yeah okay so we did ivf twice and both times we got pregnant and it and both times we miscarried very early same thing same thing was happening like you know getting pregnant and miscarrying just in a you know more uh you know complicated way um and then we spent the next several years coping. And I would say if I, if I, if I'm on a limited amount of time to talk about jumping from IVF to foster care and adoption, I think the most important thing I, I, I can tell anybody is 
give your grief some time, give, give your grief some space. Cause I didn't. Um, so the foster to adopt process, um, you know, and, and how we got to, you know, the space where we thought we were ready for that. I don't know. Cause we never thought we'd be, I mean, actually Jimmy and I, like, we're not horrible people, but we're not like, you know, we're not your fine upstanding, whatever, like we're, we're, we're nice misfits, you know what I mean? And, and, um, we, we mind our business. We do, we do nice things for people. We try to be good people, but for some reason in our heads, it was like, nobody's going to give us kids. Nobody's just going to give us little babies, you know? Um, in that respect, it was really easy because, you know, all you have to do is be a nice person and you have to give them all the documents that they want. They want everything. And then they do a home study and the home study is like, uh, crazy. They ask you questions you didn't even think were possible and you give them answers that you didn't know were in you. It's very emotionally wrecking. And the advice that they gave me before they licensed us, they actually wouldn't license that license us at first. Um, because they said they didn't want us to, um, to move forward until I had had some therapy. Um, because I had not grieved at all for my, my, I grieved my first miscarriage for a year. And then everyone that happened after that, I couldn't do it again. I couldn't, I couldn't go through it again. And so I just did it. Um, I, I just, I shoved it all down and, and the IVF and I, I, I dove into my work. I focused on, you know, everything, but, you know, giving space to that grief. But how do you grieve that? Like, how do you, how do you grieve, you know, all those chances to become a family and, and, you know, all those people that might've been like, it's, it's, to me, it was impossible. So, um, I did go to some therapy. I went to enough to get us licensed and then stopped going. And that's my biggest regret is that I wish, I wish I would have really given that more space than I gave it because it's hard. Um, you know, just, um, I definitely do believe that in a weird way, even if we had gotten pregnant and birthed two babies, they would be these babies. Cause I can't imagine any other babies. You know, I have a almost two year old and a three year old that, that, that are such perfect puzzle pieces to us. Um, and so I like, imagine like these two, you know, the same people, but white, like, you know, is what, it, what the difference would have been, um, if we had birthed them. So it's not like, it's not like I resent them or anything. It's more like I, I am so busy now as a mom that there's no room for the feelings that I have about our fertility. And, and I'm, and I'm starting to kind of, you know, maybe go through menopause and, uh, you know, that was one of our things Our one of, one of the only so solid things we got from IVF was that my egg reserve was really low and that I was probably going to go into menopause soon. Um, and so I'm starting to see symptoms of that and signs of that and kind of having a wave of, you know, um, grief over that because, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a business owner full-time. I'm, you know, also a full-time stay-at-home mom, um, which that is definitely a thing that's possible. It's just not for the faint of heart. Cause it's, I mean, what, what gets sacrificed is self-care and what gets sacrificed is, you know, this new, like I'm, I'm, I'm re-grieving my fertility and re-grieving my, my pregnancy losses and, and also not really having time to do that because I got a house for kids. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. What so, 
So one thing I want to ask is, um, do you think if you had stuck in the therapy a little bit longer, it would have helped you um, emotionally adjust now? I do. I do because I mean, I, I, I'm carrying major baggage. It's hard for me to connect to it though, because most of the time I'm fine. It's just, I think that there are, there, there are times where things pop up and I realize like, I'm not really angry at that. What I'm angry at, I'm angry at this baggage that I'm carrying, you know? Um, so yeah. But then at the same time, I'm grateful for the baggage because without the baggage, maybe we would have tried to foster to adopt in 2012 and these girls wouldn't have even been a thought, you know? So it's like, you know, you kind of have this weird mix between, you know, believing in and being grateful for destiny. And then also like, I, we went through some really shitty stuff and I felt awful for a long time because the drugs for the IVF drugs are, uh, they, 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 they change your personality for good. Um, being on that many different hormones like that. At least that's okay. my experience. Well, so. I think they do change you like irrever- irreparably or irrevocably. I don't know. I'm not saying the right word, but because we know somebody else who's taken, um, who's had an IVF journey and she uh, like, I think it kicked in an autoimmune disorder. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're yeah. heavy. Well, well, yeah. So, and I've got the autoimmune disorder too, the, the lichen planus. So. The lichen planus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like that was stimulated by the hormones you took? Well, we think that I had a bout of that um, when I was, so lichen planus shows up in childhood and then again later in life um, for most people and close to menopause. Um, and I think that if anything, those massive rushes of, you know, stimulating more follicles than you're supposed to, maybe like, uh, took some years off of my fertility, mm-hmm. you know, cause you only have so many eggs. And if my eggs were already low and I was like, you know, let's corral a whole bunch of them instead of one this month, then, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know how much time I took off of seeing those symptoms, but I think I might've seen them anyway okay. later. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, um, another time I'd like to talk a little bit more about emotional adjusting after, um, fostering to adopt so like this is a good like like halfway stopping point i think okay um and because especially because jimmy's got to go to work and today's my birthday so i gotta go pick up my birthday cake (gasps) oh my gosh it sure is happy birthday i'm 49 for the first time so oh yay i'm sorry that i didn't think of it (laughs) that's okay and look i have a zip like who has a zip at 49 what's happening here um Um, well you're 49 years young so maybe that's why and I'm menopause at 40. So yeah. like, I'm, yeah, like I became perimenopausal and then kind of shifted over. So we can talk about that a different time too. So yeah. I just want to say, I appreciate your candor and I appreciate that you're one of my doula partners and, um, you know, I just love you so much. And so I'm glad that Kathleen made you join the group too. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. Love you. And this will, um, I'm going to edit this and this will probably come out later on today or tomorrow. And, okay. um, we'll just keep talking about stuff because to me, emotions are energy like in our body. And if we don't let those emotions out, if we don't let that energy out, that energy gets busy developing and growing something else. So I think talking, mm-hmm. even talking to people who are supported to you and then maybe other people who are listening to this later, um, maybe they can learn and heal too. And um, I think we're all in this together. Yeah. And I think uh, this is what healing looks like. So 
Yes, it is. All right, all of you, and this is Jolie from the Painted Doula here in Houston, or Texas, Old Town Spring, and part of Rebel Birth, and this is Rowan with Preggers Can Be Choosers, and um, thanks everybody for watching and, and loving, and we're all in this together. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, my loves, that's a wrap. We'll see you in two weeks. Don't forget to grab those headphones. If you need a text reminder, you can go to preggers.rocks, www.preggers.rocks, or preggerscanbechoosers.com. And there's a text reminder that you can sign up for. We're also on Facebook at Preggers Can Be Choosers. There's an event um, invitation that you can sign up for there. And we also have a group dedicated on Facebook dedicated to our podcast listeners. That's the podcast afterbirth group. So we'll hope to connect with you soon. And don't forget, we're launching our prenatal education podcast pretty soon. So we want you to jump in on that as well. Thank you so much and hope you have a great two weeks.